Welcome to Book Recos Between the Pages. I'm Jess. And I'm Lauren. And we're the pals behind Book Recos. This is the podcast where we chat all things books and just about everything in between. And today we will be diving into taste from Stanley Tucci, which is his new memoir, or foodwire if you will. Yeah, today's episode is all about two great loves of ours, books and food, because we also have a few other foodie books we'd love to discuss today. Grab a snack, it's going to make you hungry. No matter what one ate, even if it was just cold cuts and olives from a delicatessen, it was elevated to a new level of flavor in my parents' home. A college friend once said to me when eating prosciutto, bread, and cheese in my first apartment in New York City, Stan... How come, even though I buy the same stuff from the same store, it tastes better when I'm at your house? You should visit my parents, was my reply. In Italian families, nothing is discussed, ruminated on, or joked about as much as food, except death. But I'll save that subject for another book. And hence, there are quite a few food-related expressions that have been passed down through my family over many generations that I continue to use to this day myself. No, Stanley Tucci is not a guest on our podcast, although that would be the dream. Um, That is a fabulous extract from the audiobook, which we thought would be a good little taste, see what I did there, of this delicious book. (laughs) Nicely done, Jess. Taste is Stanley Tucci's newly released foodoir, which talks about his Italian upbringing, being a father himself, food from around the world, food on film sets, food in lockdown, as well as lots of both happy and sad memories of his all associated with food and mealtimes. I'd like to start off by saying that I have never felt so inadequate about mm-hmm. my food, <laughs> my cooking, my mealtimes. Oh my God, same. I want to be in the Tucci family. Oh, and I, that would be the dream. Yeah. And I love that all Italian meals are two courses and that they did that at home as well. And that his mum would just cook such amazing food that they never ate at restaurants because it was never as good. Like how yeah. amazing. And two courses minimum, Jess, with you know, a minimum of like three sides. Oh, it's the Crazy. absolute dream. Like, oh. And they always sat down to eat it together. And my mm. family growing up, we there's so many of us and we're all so busy that we didn't really have mealtimes all sat around a table because one would be at ballet and then to drum, the other would be at karate and then one would be at football <laughs> and like parents would just spend their evenings in the cars. So we just never had that. Yeah. Fact, we ate our dinners in the cars. And I really love reading about families that sit down for mealtimes. Yeah. <laughs> like your family do. Yeah. In my family though, neither my mum or my dad are really like, my mom's gonna listen to this they're not very good at cooking um but not good they're just not very experimental with their cooking um and they don't really enjoy it I think that's what it is um but we'd always have Sunday dinner as a family growing up and that's I think something because my granny always insisted that we had Sunday dinner around the table and everyone would be there and you, you had to be there and I really remember like big Sunday lunches at my granny's house and like she used to look after me and my cousins during the summer holidays. And sometimes we'd have a Sunday or a roast dinner for lunch and then a roast dinner for 
dinner as well when my dad and my parents came to pick me up. So I think that's perhaps why I'm now veggie because I just had so many Sunday dinners, like roast dinners growing up. Yeah, nice. We used to have Sunday roasts at my granny's every Sunday. And it was only recently that I was talking about it with my stepdad. And he was like, there were so many different types of potato. Like there would be roast potatoes, but then she'd also do a big bowl of jacket potatoes. So you would have your jacket <laughs> potato as well as like all the other things on your roast dinner. And at the time I was like, well, I just grew up More with this. Like, this is totally normal. But um, speaking of potatoes and roast dinners, particularly at your house, I have a very vivid memory and probably a scar somewhere on my tongue <laughs> of joining your family for a roast when we were like at school so young and I put an entire roast potato in my mouth probably like should have bitten it in half not been such a greedy bitch and it was so hot but because it wasn't my family I couldn't spit it out and so I was just trying to engage in the combo like with this like piping hot boiling scorching ball of carb in my mouth and it was so painful and then I had to like swallow it down my throat oh my and it god was burning and yeah, there's still, probably still a scar somewhere from that 100% like I still remember that so vividly I love that you um felt like you couldn't spit it out as well um you'd have been more than welcome to spit it out I'm sure worse things have happened at my family's dinner tables <laughs> um speaking of roast potatoes I love that this book talks about like the differences between English and American dining festivities and like Italian cuisine and traditions. But then because he now lives in London, it also talks about lots of our foodie ways and terminologies that he's not come across before. Like when he meets his wife, Felicity and her roast potatoes being different to the way that Italians make roast potatoes. It's just... Yeah. The English that. ones are far superior. Obviously superior. <laughs> she does the fluffing technique. Mm-hmm. And I just fucking love that Stanley Tucci married Emily Blunt's sister. Like Devil Wears Prada is such a good film. Yeah. And I just think a marriage between Tucci and a Blunt is just like the best thing ever. And um, the acknowledgements, don't know if you've read them, Lauren, obviously I did. Um, He reveals that Felicity was his book agent because that's what she does for a job. And I just think that's even more perfect. What a dream team. Oh, my God. I listened to a podcast once where Stanley was talking about how he met Felicity and they... um, he was like, it was great because my my children basically had a real life Mary Poppins for yeah. a stepmother. And then their auntie suddenly plays Mary Poppins <laughs> in the remake. And he was like, my kids have had such an incredible upbringing. Um, but like you say, Jess, there are just so many like little name drops in the book. And I was, I was just so fucking here for it. I loved it. So good. And I like that he acknowledges it. Like each time you yeah, drop yeah. a name, but then in brackets be like, I'll pick that name up later that I've just. Yeah. <laughs> so good. But honestly, there's so many. Um, I <laughs> probably shouldn't admit this. I felt personally victimized on page 76 when he talks oh, yeah. about spaghetti. So I, so did I. <laughs> snap my spaghetti into the pan when I cook. Yeah, it's just easier to cook and deal with. Yeah, half sticking out, right? Um, And it surprised me that he said that he was okay with that. He was all right with that. Yeah, I've seen other Italians that are like that is blasphemy. Like you can't do that. But 
um, he called me out because when I'm at home, I can control myself in restaurants a bit, but when I'm at home, I cut my spaghetti to eat it. And that is purely because it's more manageable. And frankly, I can just shove more in my mouth because I'm so greedy. And he is really not okay with people cutting spaghetti. He's really not okay. In fact, Jess, I'm going to read, I tabbed this page in the book. Oh God. Um, because he Right, you're just going to feel his wrath here. I already have. Um, so he says, since expressing these peeves of mine regarding pasta shapes and what sources they should and shouldn't be coupled with is so satisfying, I'm inclined to confess my feelings about another, even more agrarious culinary crime that I've witnessed from time to time. It is the act, dot, dot, dot. I feel my blood pressure rising as I type, Jesus, I hope I can make this through this without having a mini stroke or worse. The act, dot, 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 fuck, I'm starting to sweat. The act, dot, 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 breathe, breathe, dot, 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 of a fully grown adult cutting their spaghetti. And it's followed by about a gazillion exclamation marks. And I'm with you, Jess. I feel totally seen. I actually went for dinner with my parents yesterday and I ordered like a veggie carbonara. And as I was cutting up my spaghetti, I was like, oh God, I did, I, I did say after I read that, I was going to try and not cut my spaghetti. Um, when I next went out to a restaurant, but I didn't. I know I'm not going to try because pasta, so pasta is like my favorite food. Anyone that knows me knows that my signature dish is pasta, just some tomato sauce and so much cheese. So what you do is you put some pasta into a bowl, then you grate a layer of cheese, some pasta on top of that, grate a layer of cheese, some pasta on top of that, grate a layer of cheese. We have a rule in my house that if when my boyfriend is the enough, one cheese keep going yeah the rule is when you think you've done enough add some more <laughs> um it's not for everyone but I um I think it's my favorite meal because like you don't really have to chew it pasta's so nice and slidey it just like glides down <laughs> and it's so carpy think, it's great yeah so I think I but cut my spaghetti because it's faster yeah, but actually adding cheese onto pasta is another one of his gripes that he doesn't like. Yeah, it yeah, shouldn't be done. Yeah. I disagree. I think it's great. My boyfriend I'm, doesn't I'm, put cheese on his and I just think like you are not enjoying your meal the way I'm enjoying mine. Mm-mm. I'm the one when they come over with the Parmesan in the restaurant who never says going. stop and it gets <laughs> really awkward. It's been going on for like a minute, 30 seconds. Oh, yeah. And I'm still there like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Make yeah. awkward eye contact like, I know, I'm aware. <laughs> um um, he just has a lot of um, do's and don'ts when it comes to Italian cooking. And one mm. of his um, gripes is around uh, gluten-free pasta. Uh, it's a categorical no from, from his perspective. It just, um, I think he says, tra- tragically, it is indeed the goddamn gluten that makes the pasta taste so good and function so well. Yeah, as well as butter and cheese, obviously. But um, yeah, he has a lot of um, rules in his house as well. <laughs> he sounds like ri- like such a dictator, but he's really not. It's all this is all written in such a comical way, yeah, uh, yeah. that you can't help but laugh and smile throughout it all. But he does. Um, and I'm guilty. I didn't even know this was a thing. But like, there are certain pasta shapes that yeah. should and shouldn't go with certain pasta sauces. And he <laughs> he like sort of recalls this moment in his house where he allowed somebody else to make um, pasta for dinner. And he was just really angry when he was served it because it was the wrong pasta with the wrong sauce. And um, he sort of made this rule. 
that he would vow to himself that there would never be a next time that anybody would be allowed to make pasta under his roof without (laughs) his um, approval because they are just Philistines. Um, So he's got a lot of rules, but they... I just loved it. It was just they—they they all just made me laugh so much. Yeah, I think, like as you say, because he sounds like he's so bossy and like has all these rules that this book could come across as pre- like pretentious because the yeah. meals he is eating and the, like he goes to restaurants and chefs like cook for him and they don't let him pay and he like they make him food off the menu mm-hmm. and like so when he writes in like a jokey way, it balances out that like yeah. all these. Um, fancy rules and ways that he knows and everything you're like okay now you are a normal person you just like know your shit like it's really yeah. good balance and it reminded me a lot of Jesse Ware's book Omelette which is also a foodoir oh really um in what sense and when did you read that I uh I was just this summer that I read it um, I have memories of walking my nephew to sleep in his buggy and holding the book in one hand Aww. and looking like an absolute lunatic walking around <laughs> my neighbourhood. I can't believe you could do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, buggies these days, they're very, they've got good turning circles. So oh, really? Like, yeah, one okay. hand, we're all good. <laughs> um, but it's, they're similar in that Jesse Ware is like, it's, it's so bougie in parts. Like there's a whole section on oysters for crying out loud. And God. she also drops a lot of names, but then I mean, like there's met, a, like basically everyone or everyone. had everyone on her podcast. Yeah. And, but then there's like a section on Nando's um, binge drinking. Nice. There's also a lot of references to Marmite, which I think oh, would be the you. title of my food. If I wrote one, like <laughs> at my um, granny's funeral this summer, there were so many mentions of Marmite sandwiches. And oh my God, I just remember Marmite sandwiches. Yeah. And, and I my associate mom, them with you and your granny. Yeah, like the whole family. My mum made a plate of the uh, Marmite sandwiches with the crust oh, cut off. Like, and yeah, they, like, they were always like cut into triangles as well. And everyone was just like, ignored all the rest of the food at the wake. We were, <laughs> everyone was like, we're going in for the Marmite sandwiches. So um, yeah, really enjoyed that. And it's... Um, I really like the layout of her one. So Stanley's for the most most part is chronological, like from mm. kid to teenager to young actor to father, like kind of goes like that. Whereas Jesse yeah. Wears is characterized and um, categorized by food or occasion. So like there's a whole okay. section on oysters, but then there might be um, like, I mean, I think Nando's has its own section and it's, <laughs> And it's then like all of her different memories throughout her life associated with that one occasion or food okay. type. And I was like, that's really cool. Like it was a really, I had a really good flow to it. And I, um, I, I like noticed that she'd chosen to do it like that. I was like, oh, I really like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very unsurprising. I like the book because I fucking love her and her mum's podcast, which for anyone who doesn't know, it's called Table Manners and they interview a celebrity each week and it's mostly it's about their life but also like specific food questions have you um listened to the ed sheeran episode the most recent ed sheeran episode no not the most recent one no i it's completely changed my opinion of ed sheeran why like tell me before i was like oh god he's a bit wanky he like owns a pub and like has this huge house in where he He lives in Suffolk doesn't he and like just thought and like he doesn't have a phone and I was like for god's sake Ed people need to get hold of you and then I listened to him on the Table Manners podcast and 
actually he's just like so grounded and yeah he lives in the same town he grew up in and so everyone yeah. there's just like all right ed like they've known him since he was 12 and he doesn't have a phone because he just wants to spend time with the people that make him happy and i was like I'm really sorry for thinking yeah. about you negatively because actually you're just trying to have a normal life along with all the success. I mean, he's quite bougie as well in the food that he yeah, talks yeah. about. But um, yeah, oh, you should give that one a listen. It's like the most I recent one. I definitely will. And I know this is not the Ed Sheeran show, but my friend actually grew up in that town that he grew up in and every boxing day no sorry every Christmas Eve her and her family all go to the pub because he just does like a ad hoc gig for ev- all the locals like every Christmas Eve so and it's good. like so good and he doesn't obviously like sh- like tell anyone about it but it's just like kept as a secret not anymore to all the locals <laughs> I just love it <laughs> so good I um I don't actually know why I'm asking this because usually I'll ask you a question I've already prepped my answer and I actually haven't on this occasion. Oh, have you not? But on Table Manners podcast, they yeah. ask what um, your like final meal or your desert island meal would yeah. be. Um, also similar to the um, off menu podcast where you do your like yeah. dream meal. And so, Lauren, what would your dream meal be? Okay, well, as it's Okay, I'm going to take this as my final meal because I am a vegetarian, but meat is going to slip into here because what? it's my final one, you know, just for wow. the last go because I really miss it. I miss beef bourguignon so much. And I don't even know what to do with that information. I did not expect that to go that way. I thought you might just, say like a fish paella or something. <laughs> maybe I want, I, I would want a lot of things lobster is going to be in there somewhere because I just fucking love a lobster but I do really miss beef bourguignon so much so much and it's the only thing I really miss about being veggie um what would yours be well Lauren, you, you get, you get, a, right you get a starter main dessert oh okay so I'm gonna maybe have lobster for my starter I'm gonna have beef bourguignon with tender strand broccoli for my main and Lauren, you don't have dessert, to have vegetables for your final meal. Oh my God, I fucking love broccoli. I would have it with every single meal. Tender stem as well. All right, Joe Wiggs. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what would I have for my dessert? I'd probably have, we're so different, aren't we? I yeah. know what yours would be, but what would Everyone knows what mine It would be like a fruit flan, a fruit pie of some sort. I just love fruit pies. <laughs> I don't even know what to do about this. I know this is where we are so different. Not planned, but like a fruit pie, a fruit pie. Um, I don't really know what they're called other than fruit pie, and they've got like fresh fruit cut. I know what you're picturing them in a French pastry. Yes, and they're like a shortbread pastry. It's not a flan. That would be my my um. That would be my dessert. What would yours be? And obviously, there'd be copious amounts of red wine as well, for sure. Okay, over to you. Jessica, what I would your starter know. be? Oh, fuck, I really You've got to know. choose right now. Okay, can we come back to starter? Main, okay. I think, is going to be, like, if it's my final meal, it's going to be yeah. a steak and ale pie. I fucking love it. And I don't want one of those ones when you go to a pub and they serve it to you in a casserole dish and then it just has a lid. I want a fucking base when it gets all soggy and all the jus sips into it. So, steak and ale pie with... Okay. So um, random. <laughs> Oh, it's you like do my love go-to. a pie, though. I, I know. Fucking love pie. Every time we go to a pub lunch and I see a pie in the menu, I'm like, "Oh, Jess would love this." <laughs> Ironically, so random, but so no. is mine. So, so yeah, so, <laughs> so good. 
And the side would be like some good chips. None of these shit ones when they're just like. What's a like, good chip, Jess? Um, five Guys chips, very good. Obviously, McDonald's chips, very good. Not that they go with pie. So you're um, a thin fry. You're I not am. A unless it's chunky. fish and chips. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm inclined to agree um, on that one. My dessert, very much like the pie. Um, yeah. If we go to a restaurant, my boyfriend will go to the dessert section and be like, oh, good, Jess, they've got <laughs> a brownie. you can have here. <laughs> like, they've got a brownie, but, so that's what you're going to have. I fucking love brownies. But And what if they warmed it up as well? Only warmed up. And it really fucks me off when they put the ball of ice cream on top of your brownie. The first thing I do is shove it off to the side. And I also always have to check if the brownie has nuts in it. I'm not allergic. They just ruin brownies. And one time I asked in a pub and they were like, oh, I don't know. Before I could say like, I'm not allergic. I just don't (laughs) like them. They came back with the biggest binder of allergens ever. And I was like, well, I have to see this through. So I had to spend ages looking for the brownie in this binder. And then every meal they were like, are you okay? I was like, oh my God, this, this is awful. I think our, our um, other best friend, Kel, she had brownies at her birthday one year and told her mum I was allergic so that she wouldn't put nuts in them. Oh my God, I remember that. <laughs> so yeah, really love brownies. I do like nuts, but just not in my brownies. Just not in brownies. Okay. raisins there either. Oh God, no. Oof. Um, okay, um, starter. I don't know. There's so many starters I like. Like I, I really love a bruschetta. Like I'm Classic, not even that crazy yeah. about tomatoes, but I could eat them all day if they're on pesto and bread. Yeah. Basically let's do let's do that. I feel like Stanley would be proud if I had a bruschetta. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Um I if Stanley were here right now, I think he would also struggle to pick just one oh. dish for each course. Sure. Um and although maybe because of the side dishes, he'd be able to find a loophole because as we've already discussed, every dish comes with a minimum of three di- side dishes in his house. And there was a part of the book where his brother-in-law um, came for dinner at his parents' house and was served ragu with meatballs and pasta. And he was just like, oh my God, this is brilliant. And was and went back for seconds and thirds, like wiping his plate clean and then his mum like cleans all the dishes away and then comes back in with a fully roast chicken um three sides roast potatoes and then everyone in the and then his brother-in-law looks and like he's like what's this and everyone in the room is like smiling really smugly like it's the main course (laughs) and I just loved how that was written it was just like so evil they all knew that he was eating too much in his starter and he thought his starter was his main but he was so wrong he was so wrong I he has lots of clever ways of writing like I like throughout it there's like a few scripts um, yes (laughs) and some of them are like repeated but like 20 years apart like I won't I won't ruin that for anyone um another thing about the book (laughs) Lauren, <laughs> I need to tell you about a recurring nightmare situation. I had. <laughs> so the like inside and back cover of the book, like when you open the oh, book, the inside gorgeous. pages, it's some, it's like a lovely sketch of tomatoes that he's drawn, which oh, I assume he's drawn it because he signed his name on them. He signed it, yeah. And it's really lovely. Um, but when you're reading it, if the back pages slightly come away from the back cover, all you can see is like a few stems of the tomatoes. And I shit you not, about nine times I thought it was a spider in my book. Spider. I've just looked at the book to see what you're talking about. And you're so right. Yeah. Honestly, it kept happening to me. And I'd be like, oh, 
oh, oh, it's fine. It's just those tomatoes again. And like every time it, I thought it was a spider. Um, really lovely sketch, Stan, but let's just rein it, it in gorgeous, a bit on the back. Gorgeous, gorgeous sketch though. Yeah, I didn't know talented. that he was artistic He's a bit of way. a triple threat, really, isn't he? Just nails everything. Um, and I want to take us back to the beginning of the book where he talks about his extravagant school lunches oh, yeah. that his mum used to make him because lunchtime at school is actually how Jess and I met. And yes. it was a moment that just made me feel really inadequate thinking about my own school lunches of ham and cheese sandwiches and dairy lead dunkers, but also, and fruit winders. Remember those? Oh um, my God. <laughs> hang on, hang on. Were you one of the kids that had a pepperoni? Uh, no, I wasn't, but my cousin Thank was. God, pepperonis are really honestly the lowest I feel a bit of the sick low. When I think about, and they're in their little like condom uh, wrapper. In their wrapper, like oh my god, and they Fucking used to be rank. so pungent. You used to know <laughs> automatically when anyone has opened a pepperoni. Oh, like gross. those things can't be healthy. They are processed to. Oh, oh they're so anyway. long and skinny. Anyway, as you were. Uh, <laughs> I now can't get this image out of my head. Okay, yummy lunches. Um, I had Marmite, you had ham and cheese. And Dairy Lee Dunkers yeah. and Fruit Widers. <laughs> but also, I was just so jealous because his mum used to obviously make these amazing mealtime dinners, but whatever would be left over would go into a sandwich the next day. Lots of different types of bread. And he, they just sounded so incredible. But I was also just so jealous of this man's metabolism. Like oh. the amount he would eat, there are moments where he would just list out at certain points in his life, like the food, like typical daily food consumption. And usually there'd be about three different sandwiches on there throughout the day. There'd be breakfast, there'd be lunch and there would be dinner and there would be snacks after dinner and there would be dessert as well. And I just can't believe that this man can be the size he is and eat as much as he does. It's because he's a man. Oh, I'm so jealous. Winds me up so much. Um, yeah, I mean, the school lunches at another time that um, the teachers made me feel very inadequate. Um, but it also reminded me that earlier this year, I read Hungry by Grace Dent, and oh, it yeah. was part of a tandem read-along. And part of it was to think yes. of nostalgic foods. And, and at the time, I thought about how we met at school over lunches so I always used to eat lunch with a different girl and then one day she went home sick but no one told me and it got to lunchtime and I was like where the fuck is she was losing my mind they're like well why don't you sit with Lauren instead today and she was there with her heart-shaped Barbie lunchbox and I was there with my Lion King 2 lunchbox (laughs) Piara and Kovu up front and like I have such vivid memories of that day and feeling so lost and then that poor other girl came back from being sick and I was like nah mate I sit with Lauren (laughs) I'm all about this Barbie lunchbox. Replaced. Honestly, she got truly Cut. replaced. <laughs> but um, oh, I would love to find those a picture of those lunchbox. Boxes. I think my family probably still have my ones. <laughs> we don't let shit go. My mum kept having babies, and they just kept being given all our old stuff. It's like vintage now. Yeah. Um, but anyway, hungry by Grace Dent is like the whole thing is so nostalgic and it's really good. So. Um, the play on the word hungry is very clever because Grace is hungry for success and to make wow. something of herself in London. And she's like grown up eating beige food in Carlisle. And then, well, as we all know, she's like one of Britain's best loved food writers. And it's about like eating 
spam and things and like um <laughs> chips and gravy and things like that and then she becomes like this insane food critic and it's very clever and it's amazing so much about family and the way that her family memories are like so intrinsically linked to food and meal times and snacks like after school snacks and things and like something that I think everyone well most people can resonate with and she doesn't like shy away from her past like she's so could being like who she mm. is today um, and it's really touching as well about her dad getting ill and this just reminds you like what a joy food is and like how important it is as part of family memories and things and it's it's really nice, easy, lovely read. I'd, it's a definite oh, reco. I had a really great I mean, time reading it. We've both just on this chat spoken about our grands yeah. because, yeah. in one way or another, many of our food memories go back to our grandparents and you know Sunday dinners. And I love, like you've just said, that she in this book. I haven't read it, but she could have just trawled on a load of fancy eating experiences but she didn't it's just like really humble yeah and so humble and I think it's like when your food is a privilege and so Mm. writing and talking about food is a quite a privileged thing and there were times when I was reading like Jesse Ware's and Stanley Tucci's food oils and I was just like eye rolling like there are so many people in the world without food I mean Mm. just in the pandemic like we were reminded how not everybody can make school lunches and they were relying on yeah. those school lunches and then they didn't have them. Like it's a big up Marcus Rashford. Big up. Mm-hmm. And like, it's, it's a very privileged thing to write about. And it's something that so it many is. people take yeah, for so granted. Right. And I think there's just so many people around the world, like homeless people or people in other countries in poverty who are just eating to live. And these are people that are eating for entertainment. And, yeah. and there's a very fine line. I mean, on the whole, they're very like I loved. I loved both books, all three books actually. But um, I thought that you know, just I couldn't not think about the fact that actually, like, it's quite a wanky thing to write. Like, there's a really fine line. So true, and it's not for everyone. But um, that that sort of thread of conversation kind of links back to our destroy the patriarchy, not the planet episode. When you think about just how much food waste there is in the world. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and um. I was wanted to bring up this book, but actually I'm going to bring it up here because it's kind of a perfect segue while I'm, you know, talking about working hard to put food on the table mm. is um, a really fantastic foodie book that's fictional this time. Oh, food um, And it's YA and it's called With the Fire on High by Elizabeth Acevedo. And it's simply gorgeous. It's lovely. The cover is gorgeous, but also mm-hmm. the book is. Um, I know the cover you're talking about. It's gorgeously like oh, like maroony colour, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's about um, <clears throat> sorry, it's about Amani, um, and she's only seventeen, and she's trying to manage her schoolwork, care for her two year old daughter, and trying to figure out what she should do after school. But mm. one thing she does know is her way around a kitchen and how to cook delicious food full of flavors, and throughout the book like there's the story ongoing but every now and then there'll be a recipe to something that she's cooking which is just amazing so, so cool and she's such a great character and you're just rooting for her the whole time and the chapters are really short uh, and it's a really easy style of writing like I, oh, I say it every time I just feel like such a dick but I read it in did the you day. gobble it <laughs> I gobbled it like the yummy food she bakes um 
and it's like it's totally a foodie book but it also explores motherhood race friendship same-sex relationships not knowing what you want to do with your life um and it's just like full of hope and determination and um it's really fantastic and I I can't believe Mm. I don't talk about it more because now that I was thinking about it for this episode and I was like god I really really enjoyed my time reading that book it was really lovely and Mm. made me super hungry um so I'm (laughs) glad that I've now managed to talk about it on the podcast um it's really great If, if you haven't read it I'd give it a go fantastic YA okay um that's a similar theme all these books making us hungry yes um, on the topic of foodie fiction then let's dive once more into Heartburn by Nora Ephron because we have an IGTV where we talked about this book in more detail but I know watching an IGTV takes more effort than listening to a podcast so we're just going to revisit it yeah also we frigging love it so I'll talk about this book anytime um, absolutely yeah gotta bring it to the pod at some point today's today Lauren drop the synop okie doke so seven months into her pregnancy, Rachel discovers that her husband, Mark, a man who would be capable of having sex with a Venetian blind, is in love with another woman. The fact that this woman has a neck as long as an arm and a nose as long as a thumb is no consolation. Food sometimes is, though. Since Rachel is a cookery writer and between trying to win Mark back and wishing him dead, she offers are some of her favourite recipes. <laughs> the synopsis sounds pretty bleak, but I think yeah. it also comes across as that actually this is a very witty book and yeah. it's guaranteed to make you crack a smile. Um, actually, Lauren, we read it for Valentine's Day, didn't we? We thought it'd be funny. Oh my God. a book called Heartburn that <laughs> for Galentine's. <laughs> and it's got a gorgeous cover as well. Oh, so um, nice. I remember now, yeah, I read... Another book of Nora Ephron's last year, I Feel Bad About My Neck, which is another incredible book by her. And I remember afterwards saying to you that we both need to buddy read Heartburn together because her style of writing is so brilliant. You're left just wanting to chat to someone about it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I had FOMO after you read I Feel Bad About My Neck. Um, Also because it had a um, forward from Dolly Alderton. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, okay. I want to be in the gang. (laughs) um but anyway on to the actual book I remember after reading this we both agreed that the introduction by Nora was perhaps like one of our favorite parts yeah so um for background heartburn is a not so thinly disguised recollection of Efron's relationship breakdown with her now ex-husband and in her intro she tackles this head-on and owns it um like it's her life she can do whatever the hell she wants so if she wants to write a novel that's thinly disguised it's actually about her own life so fucking be it crap yeah on, and out to her husband for being an absolute dick yeah. <laughs> why not don't be a dick then if you're scared that you know your author wife is going to put it in a book um it's like and- anyone that dates taylor swift she's gonna write yeah, a song about she's it she's gonna guys. write a song about you deal with it and I love on page like the second page of the introduction where she describes her as well she describes how her ex-husband was so furious um when he found out that she turned their divorce into a book and she says what did he think was going to happen that I'd take a vow of silence for the first time in my life um and she says and as a result, I knew the moment my marriage ended that someday it might make it a book. I might make it a book. If I could just stop crying, one of the things I'm proudest 
proudest of is that I managed to convert an event that seemed to me hideously tragic at the time to a comedy. And if that's not fiction, I don't know what is. I just really love so that. Great. So like, great. She's turned one of the most horrible moments in her life into a moment of fiction, um, a moment of comedy. So good on you, Nora. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's quite an emotional book for her. And but being a food writer, I love how she just peppered lots of different recipes throughout the book, which are largely all like really lovely comfort foods that she cooks and she eats when she's feeling down. Yeah, it's a another book that made me so hungry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think it's that like style of writing, like peppering recipe recipes into the book. Um you know, we've seen it. In, we saw it in Dolly Alderton's book, uh, Everything yeah. I Know About Love, which we talked about in uh, what book? Oh, our Summer Records episode, I think. We've talked about it before. Go and yeah. listen to that. Um, and Stanley Tucci drops in the recipes throughout. So does it, it happens in With the Fire and High. And it's it's like the thread that ties all of these writers together is their love of food. And um, food writing is, well, it's mentioned in Stanley Tucci's book that he really loved um, Julia Child's yeah. books. And then... And her TV shows. Yeah. She, and like cook along. And then um, Nora Ephron produced Julia and Julia, the film about her life, and Stanley Tucci played Julia Child's husband. I know. It's such I a small it. world, isn't it? Yeah. I love how Julia Child's is like the person that interlinks all of these... Um, great food writers and they're yeah. obviously just really inspired by her like passion for food yeah. and like her um, TV series back in the 60s. Yeah. And Stanley talks about her in the book, but then also about while they were filming and like a funny meal that they had one evening and stuff. So it's great, great tie-ins. Yeah. Like great tie-ins. <laughs> um, I listened to a podcast with Dolly Alderton and Stanley Tucci and Stanley sort of recounted what it was like working with uh, Nora Ephron on Julie and Julia. And he just said she was just so funny and scathing in real life and just absolutely obsessed with food. Um, but apparently her obsession, and we mentioned this in the IGTV, is more to do with like making food and experimenting with food more so than actually eating it, which, I mean, I'm going to draw the line. For me, the biggest joy of food is eating it, not cooking it. I get so fucked off that I'll spend an hour making a meal that I eat in five minutes. <laughs> it really winds me up. And yes, I could eat slower, but it's still never going to be as long as the time yeah, it takes no. to cook. I just don't yeah. see the point. So yeah, um, I'm the opposite of um, Nora. Oh, I was trying to do a jazzy nickname for her, but it doesn't allow. It's not no, like a Lizzie doesn't. G situation. Nora E, don't work. That's for me. Um, but uh, one bit that... Um, I really enjoyed the book. And I think I actually like audibly gasped at um, mm. was a bit with the key lime pie. And she is at dinner with her friends and she throws a pie, we're back on pie, at her husband because she's found out that he's having an affair. Oh my God, I love that bit. And fun fact, that actually happened in real life. But in real life, she asked the one of the dinner guests to hand her a bottle of red wine and she opened the wine and poured it all over her husband's head and he didn't even react like he she... just stayed there quiet because he just knew he deserved it she should have written about... I mean I did really enjoy the pie throwing but my instant thought was oh fuck that's such a mess to clean up and 
maybe the, but that's oh, what she wine. says like she yeah. says how the floor was lino so it just cleaned up really nicely but I, I think the fact that she like pointed that out I was like oh god so I'm wondering if wine would have been better because then that's just maybe. like a quick soak up you know mm-hmm. I mean unless it was carpet then we would have been fucked um <laughs> We are getting down a rabbit hole. We could talk about this book all day. In fact, we have a few times now. There is an IGTV that you can watch. Um, But I, the book is so quotable. And it's one of those rogue ones where I actually got a pen and underlined it. I remember. So this was the turning point for you. This was the first book you underlined in pen. And there's still only about three books that I've done it on. So it says a lot. Um, So Lauren, would you like to share a quote um, like you this book is tabbed to the nines and I'm going to read two I'm just going to be greedy because oh. there are like you say so many and I love them all well greedy is a theme choose. for this episode so that's fine true true um my first quote I'm going to read is just a funny one um and it's a conversation between her and her husband and it starts with her husband saying, where are your socks, said Mark? Where are my socks? Where are all the missing socks? They're in heaven, said Arthur. You die, you go to heaven and they bring you a big box and it's got all your lost socks in them and your mufflers and your gloves and you get to spend eternity sorting them all out. And I just really liked that. <laughs> um, and the second quote that I just really love because um, I'm a big sap was at the end where someone says to her, do you believe in love? And she says, sometimes I believe that love dies, but hope springs eternal. Sometimes I believe that hope dies, but love springs eternal. Sometimes I believe that sex plus guilt equals love. And sometimes I believe that sex plus guilt equals good sex. Sometimes I believe that love is natural as the tides. And sometimes I believe that love is an act of will. Sometimes I believe that some people are better at love than others. And sometimes I believe that everyone is faking it. Sometimes I believe that love is essential. And sometimes I believe that the only reason reason love is essential is that otherwise you spend all your time looking for it yes I said I do and I just think that's really lovely it's lovely but the phrase sometimes I believe sounds correct sounds crazy in my head now you know like when you say table too many times and you're like is that a word yep Um, egg I do that all the time (laughs) that word egg is it a real word it's just such a crazy word I think it is such a crazy double g and only three letters and two of them are g just crazy i just think about this all the time <laughs> what's your favorite quote uh, okay i mean there's a dozen but i'll go for this one which <laughs> when i read it again i laughed like when i was just looking for it um i don't like blaming family members for what goes wrong with children because someday when my kids are arrested for grand larceny i don't want anyone looking accusingly at me <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she's just got such a way with words and she's clearly just was such a funny person. Yeah. Oh, love her. Okay. Back to Stanley T. That one works. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Stanners. Yes. How did you feel about the mention of lockdown? I'm going to let you answer that one first. <laughs> okay. I... I don't know. I'm still always shocked when it's talked about in books, even though it's such a yeah, part of our lives. I think I've even said that on here before. Yeah. But um, it again, it highlighted that he was eating like lamb chops and cooking all these things, but there were so many people that couldn't get mm. access to food. And it did make me think about that. But, you know, bless his heart, his lockdown sounded mental with like three older kids and like one God, who was waiting to hear about exam results and things like that. 
And then two little kids. Um, yeah, did not envy his <laughs> laugh. No, seemed quite all. stressful, didn't it? Yeah. Um, it did make me think actually of like how cooking me and my friends from uni would cook on Zoom together once a week during the pandemic. Oh, so and nice. we would all make something different. Sometimes we'd all make the same thing and like do the steps at the same time. But mostly it was just like we'd cook whatever we were having and use it as a t- chance to chat whilst you're cooking. So it wasn't as lonely. And it made me think about how much I liked that. But it also made me think, and he mentions it in this the book, like how men- so many like independent restaurants who hold so much of the city's culture ended up collapsing and folding during the pandemic because they couldn't afford like chains, even a lot of chains closed down, but it's even more disheartening when you see like an independent um, um, restaurant that are like family run closed. And he mentions how at the beginning of the book, he mentions his most favorite restaurant in Brooklyn that he'd go to um, whilst he was like walking between auditions and acting gigs and he'd like sit down and have the most amazing meal for like a dollar or two dollars or something and he was like and I still occasionally every time I'm back in Brooklyn go back to that restaurant and then there was like a little asterisk at the end of the page that said that restaurant has now been closed because of yeah it closed last year during the pandemic so you can assume that was why and that was yeah it just made me think how much culture we've lost food wise and um, during the pandemic but also like you say how privileged we are to be able to have this discussion yeah yeah and it is towards the end of the book so don't worry he's not gonna chuck lockdown in your face right off no yeah, um, yeah true and then he goes on to talk and I think it gives a lot of context I won't not that you can't I feel like you can't actually give spoilers in a non-fiction book but I won't no, delve into yeah. it anyway but like the book ends with him talking about um his illness and I just thought it was the perfect way to finish it off because it just highlights that mm. what a big part food and just meal times in general play in his life and who he is as a person and mm. he then like he gives thanks to a lot of people that were there for him there's more name dropping and it's just such a perfect way to end such a gorgeous delicious book oh yeah I couldn't agree more yeah And I'm starving now, so I think we should end this here. Yeah, I really want some pasta, and I'm going to fucking cut my spaghetti. And I'm going to have a fuck ton of pasta with cheese. Oh, yeah, all in the layers. So kill me, Stanley. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then please like, subscribe, and leave a rating and review. And of course, you can share it with your reading buddy too. They might like a listen. And if you don't already, then you can follow us on Instagram at BookRecos for, funnily enough, more book recommendations. See you next week. We'll be here.